Hello, and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. Uh, we are uh, very excited today. I don't know when we're not excited. I don't we're know when. Mostly excited. Default emotion excited. excited. But we're not exhausting excited, I oh. don't think. Sure. There are people out there, they're exhausting excited yeah. about everything, you know, where you're like, you couldn't possibly be that excited about everything. About all the time. All the time. You're excited to go to the grocery store. Please. But today, we are legitimately and genuinely excited because we have a guest. <laughs> today, we have a guest, Jamie. Hello, Jamie. Hi. 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 So, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, my name's Jamie. Uh, I am 19 years old. I'm from Vancouver, Canada, um, and I'm an illustration student. I'm studying illustration design. That's awesome. <sighs> yeah. So cool. So cool. I was not nearly as cool as you at 19. Not even. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> no, no, I was not. I was an English major along with like everybody else at Binghamton. But <laughs> this is not about me, Jamie. <laughs> this is about you. Uh, what? Uh, and you're going to be presenting a topic today to us yes. that we are extremely excited about. Something that we yes. have dabbled with in terms of thinking about it. <laughs> We've thought about it. We have not actually. But we're not skilled. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Uh, so please tell us what your topic is today. I am here to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. And I'm so excited to tell you about it. It's the only thing I know a lot about. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I've been playing for over two years now, almost three. And uh, lots of people who are listening, if they play Dungeons and Dragons, will probably be like two or three years. Because I know people who have been playing for like... 15 years oh, sure, yeah. or like as long as the game has been out um i'm not going to cover everything to do with D D because there is so much mm -hmm. but uh i'm going to sort of try and give you guys a bit of a rundown uh in terms of the basics excellent Great. i'm excited sounds good okay do you mind if i start with some vocabulary because please oh please please do very uh jargon specific and uh, and also if I'm talking and you guys have any questions feel free to just interrupt me because I might say something that may make no sense at all <laughs> great <We can> do <laughs> um, that. yes so uh there's a dm or a dungeon master also referred to as a game master or a gm mm -hmm. this is the person that runs the game for everybody else they control the world and the narrative um I might use the term rpg which is role-playing game uh, or tabletop RPG, which is just tabletop role-playing game. Uh, there's NPCs, which are non-player characters. It's also a term used in video games, which you might be familiar with. Ah, okay. um, and so this can include like villains, allies, passerbys. A campaign is a series of adventures run with the same characters. So if you sit down with the same group of people and play the same characters through a connected storyline, it is a campaign. Oh, cool. Um, there is homebrew, which is any campaign that deviates from standard written material. So this can include changes in rules or just having fun, making stuff up off the top of your head. It's up to the people that you play with. Okay, cool. Um, there's critical hits and critical fails, which can also be referred to as nat 20s or nat 1s. It's basically when you roll a 20-sided dice, mm -hmm. uh, it is either a natural 20, which is an automatic success, or a natural one, which is automatic fail. Oof. And um, 
yeah, nat ones suck, but <laughs> <laughs> they're fun. Uh, yeah, so that's all I really got for vocab, but okay. uh, I'd like to talk about some of the history. So D&D, uh, it stands for Dungeons and Dragons. Um, it's a tabletop role-playing game where players can create their own character, they battle monsters, and they tell stories with their friends. It's really a collaborative storytelling uh, game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was designed by Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson and was initially published by Tactical Studies Rules. Um, I'm just going to call it TSR for mm-hmm. simplicity. It was in 1974. It was originally derived from uh, tabletop war games, but with an individualistic like fantasy twist. Mm-hmm. And it was heavily inspired by uh, the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. Oh, so, great. We've um, heard of him. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that guy. <laughs> Um, the original game pack included three pamphlets, Monsters and Treasure, Men and Magic, uh, and the Underworld and Wilderness, and each covered a different aspect of the game. Mm-hmm. Men and Magic covers character creation and the rules, Monsters and Treasure covers different uh, monsters, objects within the game, and their like statistics. And the Underworld and uh, Wilderness booklet describes how to create dungeons and other campaign settings for the DM to run. And uh, the handbooks for modern editions still follow this structure with the player's handbook, the monster manual, and the dungeon master's guide, respectively. The monster manual. Oh, I'm excited yeah. about that. <laughs> yes, it's uh, it's full of interesting, fun things uh, that are both horrible and fantastic at the same time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's also pre-written storybooks that you can uh, that you can buy. So if your dungeon master doesn't want to make up a story off the top of his head, because like honestly, who has time for that? Mm-hmm. Um, they uh, can just still run a game using a pre-written story. Okay. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Um, in 1968, Gary Gygax hosted the first uh, Lake Geneva War Games convention to meet others interested in tabletop war games. And eventually um, that got shortened to Gen Con, which still happens at the Indiana Convention Center every year. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. At the second annual event, uh, Gygax met Arneson and they began brainstorming rules for a new game. Um, they published this game called Chainmail. Um, well, it was mostly Gygax who published it, and uh, it was an early war game set in the medieval times, so that's where they started to dabble in sort of the fantasy setting. Okay, yeah. Um, Arneson and Gygax eventually came up with uh, the early drafts of Dungeons & Dragons based off of this system. Cool, oh, cool. Yeah, and uh, the popularity of D&D throughout the late 70s and early 80s um, led to the creation of more games using a similar structure and uh, game systems, mm-hmm. uh, which allowed people to create a character and, and play the game um, uh, a similar way. Mm-hmm. Um, its popularity led to it uh, starting to become frequent in popular culture as well. Like we can see with like, I don't know if you guys watch Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. Them mm-hmm. sitting around the table playing D&D. And yeah. community. That's oh, what yeah. I mean. And community. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, in 1977, D&D was split into the basic version and AD&D, which is also called Advanced D&D, um, both with their own player's handbook. The difference was uh, they're mainly the fact that AD&D added more player character options and allowed for players to diversify what their character could be and do. Okay. And after this, they essentially just kept publishing supplements, monster manuals, different guides for play, expanding the breadth of the rules and adding more components into the game. 
And as the years went on, more editions of D&D were published. Second edition, third edition, 3.5, fourth edition, and the most recent edition was uh, the fifth edition, which is commonly referred to as 5E, oh, which was okay. published in 2014. Oh, okay. Yes. So it's very recent. It's pretty recent. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's really, it's really recent. And with that has come uh, an uptick in people playing. Oh, great. As well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in 1997, Wizards of the Coast uh, purchased D&D from TSR and kept publishing new editions. And it sort of became a bit of an issue because a lot of the people who played original D&D, um, how it was developed under TSR, uh, didn't like the changes that Wizards of the Coast made, especially with the release of, um, I think it was the third edition. Um, and so that... They basically added a bunch more rules. It was less flexible. It didn't allow people creativity. And so a lot of people either kept playing the old editions or moved to different systems like Pathfinder, um, which allowed them more creative freedom in what they did with their game. Um, Yeah. yeah. And so now we're going to get into the fun stuff. That was all the history. Um, Have either of you ever played D&D before? No, but my husband is uh, the DM for a very small uh, D&D campaign that they've only had like maybe two sessions of at this point, because we're all in our 30s and it's harder to get together. Oh, yeah, that's, that's harder than fighting any monster is finding, <laughs> finding- a, a group that can continually meet together yep. on a regular basis. Yes, yeah. uh, but I do and have been listening to, I'm actually on my way, my second way through the Adventure Zone. Um, yeah, the, <laughs> which I I'll touch on that later. Okay, good because yeah. I loved that so much. We Steve and I listened to it on all of our car trips. I cry and cry. It's so good. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm most familiar with D and um, because where I work at the Strong Museum of Play in Rochester, um, we collect a lot of museum objects and artifacts like. Um, editions of Dungeons and Dragons and all the different modules and I have some historical materials in the archives that are also related to um to the game so I've I know a little bit of the history but I don't know much about how it actually works yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah well uh, I'm gonna get into how to play I'm gonna start with uh the dice so Uh, these are something that even if you've never played D&D before, you might have seen the sets of dice or at least the D20. Mm-hmm. So to play D&D, you need this specific set. Um, there are seven in a container uh, and each are rolled for different reasons. The names of the dice correspond to the number of sides that the dice has. So the first one is like the D4. It's a four-sided dice. It looks like a pyramid. And if you step on it, it's like stepping on Legos. It sucks. (laughs) Um, And then there's the D6, which is like the most common type of dice. You can see it in lots of games like Yahtzee and and, uh, Clue. Uh, The D8, the D10, and the D12 are all supplied as well. And they're most often used for attacks and damage during combat. Um, the, uh, a percentile dice is the least used out of all of the dice. Um, and it's rolled along with the D10, which gives you a percentage out of a hundred when you roll it. Yes. The final dice is the most recognizable and connected with Dungeons and Dragons as it's used more than any other dice in the set. And that's the D20. So that's the 20 sided dice. It's used for skill checks, combat, saving throws, ability checks, Pretty much everything uh, you can, if you want to play a super loose 
fast homebrew game, you can just use the D20 if you want to. <laughs> okay. Um, the way D&D is structured, it requires the key player called the Dungeon Master or the Game Master. And it's not as bad as it sounds. It's not like some weird... Yeah, uh, the role of the Dungeon Master is to present the players uh, with a narrative for them to interpret and run with. And so the DM plays the role of all NPCs and uh, uses storytelling to get the players to fight monsters, solve puzzles, and further whatever quest they're on. Um, and the rest of the players form a party, which is a group of characters with different sets of skills, um, the standard party composition consists of three players, the fighter, magic user, and the healer. And so that was the original three classes of D&D, and they have since been expanded upon to allow people to have a bit more fun with it, try some different things. Um, classes are essentially the role your character plays within the group. Um, it, different classes give your characters different sets of skills, and it gives you bonuses to things that other classes may not have, so it allows you to be a key part of the team. Mm -hmm. uh, fighters, for example, can take a lot more hits than most magic users can, but magic users are able to cast spells where fighters generally are not. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Shortly after the release of the game, uh, Gygax added a class called Thief, which is now a rogue type, mm -hmm. um, and this creates a balanced party. Um, and while the original game stuck to the balanced party format, the most recent edition allows for more flexibility. So how many people would... So is it just like three people and the Dungeon Master originally? Uh, yeah, that's generally how they played it. Um, nowadays, because there's so many classes, um, I've seen parties that are like up to 12 people, which okay. is crazy. Oh I've GM'd a couple times. I would never be able to do that because <laughs> it's so many things to manage. But uh, yeah, the standard party is usually four people and a dungeon master. Okay. Um, but depending on who you have running the game, there could be different uh, different numbers of players. And uh, yeah, it's <laughs> it can get interesting. I that's know. for sure. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Um, <laughs> there's a couple of streams uh, currently. I've seen one that's j a party of just bards. So oh. just magic users they do a bunch of different stuff mostly musicians mm -hmm. they're like a girl band it's great <laughs> um yeah so the classes for the current fifth edition are barbarians which are like a fighting class that deals a lot of damage they're so fun you can go into a rage um cool yeah <laughs> perfect yeah there's a bard which is a performance-based uh magic user they they're mostly a support class um so they just help their team members. Uh, clerics are usually healers. They uh, are divine healers. So they use uh, a god to channel divinity and, and uh, heal their teammates. Um, druids are like wizards, but with nature magic. And they can turn into animals. Ooh, that's which cool. Is fun. Mm. Yeah. Uh, fighters are... Um, a fighting class uh, who can use lots of different types of weapons, so they can use swords, bows, etc. Um, monks are martial fighters who mostly fight without weapons, and they have uh, something called key points, which allows them to punch really good and <laughs> move really fast. Um, a paladin is like kind of like a cleric in that they can heal, but they're more focused on fighting than healing. They're kind of like a, a knight. They're pretty pretty righteous. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, a ranger 
is like if you've ever seen Hunger Games, Katniss yeah. Everdeen. That's oh. pretty. She's a ranger, proficient cool. in like tracking, hunting, and using ranged weapons. Uh, a rogue is a fighter who relies on stealth and sleight of hand. A sorcerer is a mage born with innate magic, but is limited in spells. So they're like, uh, maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's, you know, <laughs> like they're uh, they're born with the innate magic. They don't have to do any studying. Okay. Um, okay. But they don't have as many spells. There's a warlock who um, is like, they make a deal with the devil essentially to get magic powers, which is fun narratively if you're trying to write an interesting character. That's really cool. um, it's essentially like having a magical sugar daddy. Um, and then <laughs> this. this is so good. I love it. <laughs> uh, and then there's a wizard who's like somebody who like studies really hard, goes to school, and uh, they just worked. They tried their best, and now they have magic, but they have to like have components and certain things mm-hmm. to be able to cast the spell. So if they don't have the materials they need, you're out of luck. Mm, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's a lot of different like categories. Yeah. I think I, I think I would want to be a rogue. I think that's what I want to would want to do. She's looking at me like, yeah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I always play rogues generally. That's mm-hmm. my, that's my go-to. They're cool. pretty, they're pretty fun. That's my girl. That's my girl. <laughs> Uh, and so those are just the classes that are actually in the handbook right now. Uh, there's extensions and like there's like uh, Xanthar's Guide to the Universe, which is a, an expansion that allows you to play things like Gunslinger and Artificer. And it's really fun, but it's so much stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so there's a lot of versatility. Something I find absolutely amazing, it's my favorite piece of D&D trivia, is the fact that the original four-person party was based off of the show Golden Girls. No. <gasps> Stop it. What? Yeah. That yes. is the best news I've heard today. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I haven't watched the Golden Girls, which I'm ashamed to say. But You have so um, much time. Yeah, you have t- plenty. <laughs> so young. <laughs> I just like imagining a bunch of old ladies in like a fantasy setting with like swords and stuff. And, you know? It makes Can a lot of sense. It? Yeah. They have, I mean, they yeah. all have distinct personalities. Mm-hmm. They all have different strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, of course. Uh, they're bonded. <laughs> they're... All they ladies. work well as a team. They work well as a team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I could see that. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's uh, lots of different races too. So that's um, when you see a, a mixed matched D&D party, it might be to do with their physical appearance. And so there's um, things like dragonborn, which are half dragon, usually half human. Um, yeah. They kind of look like giant lizards, but there are also a race called lizard folks. So... It's <laughs> that's where this comes yeah. from. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, they based the race off of Mark Zuckerberg. That's not true, but yeah, he's definitely a reptile man. Yeah, <laughs> um, there are dwarves, which are like very Tolkien-esque dwarves, not Snow White. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like real tough. Lots of them got beards. Uh, there's elves, which are like very Legoless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like again, rather than Santa, Santa's elves <laughs> or Keebler, um, <laughs> or Keebler yeah. elves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, there's gnomes, which are exactly what they sound like, but they don't have the pointy hats. I mean, they can if you want them to. That's that's <laughs> up to you. But uh, yeah, half elves, which are half elf and most of the time half human, um, half orcs, which are mostly half orc. 
and half human. Um, there are humans, which are just humans, and you're thinking, like, why would you want to play human when you have the option to be half dragon, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, most people play humans because they're very um, versatile in their stat bonuses. So when you choose to play them, it gives you extra extra stuff. Okay, I see. Okay. Game in the there, system. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's halflings, which are um, just hobbits, but hobbit is a copyrighted term, <laughs> so you're not allowed to use that. Um, and then there are tieflings, which are half demon and usually half human. They have horns and tails and like irregular colored skin, so you can be like purple or blue. Oh. And there are expansions that allow you to play as like bird people or cat people or half angel, but those are just the ones listed wow. in the player's handbook. Yeah. So you decide I want I'm going to play this game with three of my friends. Yeah. Um. So do you get to pick which class you are, or is that based on like rolling dice or based on what the dungeon master tells you? Um. It can be any of those things. Okay. Usually, it's uh, it's like sitting down with your friends and being like, okay, this is what I'm thinking. I would like to play a rogue. And mm-hmm. so the dungeon master can be like, well, I'm planning an all rogue party. So everybody's rogue. <laughs> I say, okay. Or yeah. Or it could be like, well, your friend is like, well, if you want to play a rogue, I'll play a fighter. And okay. then it's sort of like trying to create a balanced party. But um, as the game has gotten older there's been a lot of moving away from that. Okay. Generally, because people just sort of do what they want and mm-hmm. have fun with it. Um, I still play generally with a balanced party. Um, but yeah, so it's really up to you. It's up to the DM and the rest of the people in, in your party. Okay. So if somebody, Ooh. if you have somebody that's like a super contrarian and it's like, <laughs> well, fine, you guys can be... Um, you guys can be important magicians, but I'm going to be a demon person yeah. or something just to like, I don't know. I'm just, I just keep going back to community when they do the episodes of the Dungeons and Dragons and Pierce is like just a dick on purpose. Uh, when Pierce steals that guy's sword, I, when I watched that episode, I literally cried. Oh. I cried. I was like this. And that's, that was the episode that I couldn't watch community anymore. Cause I was like, Pierce is oh, too cool wow. yeah. of a character that I, I'm actually uncomfortable watching mm-hmm. this show. So that was my tipping point for community. <laughs> <laughs> when I was like, no, I can't do it. He stole that poor young boy's sword. It's terrible. But for the most part, you're going to get people that like each other. I yeah. That I, want to say. I would hope so. You never know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so in order to play, every player has a character sheet, um, in building your character, you get to decide things like backstory, appearance, uh, equipment, and then you have to do math to determine what your character's good at. That's my least favorite part. I don't like math. Um, (laughs) and so like your class, your race and other factors contribute to what your stats are within the game. And so you have that on your sheet in front of you while you're playing. So you're able to use those stats to make ability checks and other Mm -hmm. things like that. There are six main stat blocks that form your basis for being able to do things. There's strength, which which lends itself to things like uh, climbing, swimming, fighting, uh, etc. There's dexterity, which is useful for stealth, sleight of hand, and acrobatics. Um, Constitution, which determines your physical resilience. Um, Intelligence, which is important for recalling world lore and understanding languages. Mm-hmm. wisdom which can be used for healing and observational skills and charisma which determines how charming and persuasive you are 
Um, and each of these skills are assigned under a number, uh, which are usually rolled. Mm -hmm. And this determines how good the character is at a skill. And each number corresponds to a modifier. So that gives you a bonus when you roll. If you're making a charisma roll and you have plus two to charisma, then you've oh, got cool. an extra mm -hmm. two to what you rolled. I wish it were that easy in real life. I could be like, well, sorry, I've got an eight in charisma. I can't, I can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do I want yeah. to go to this party? I can make a persuasion check to see if yeah. I can like, get exactly. out of it. Yeah. Yes, 100%. Uh, and so these numbers are primarily used for skill checks, which are done when a player wants to perform an action. And so in this, they roll a d20, take that number, add it to whatever modifier applies to that check, and then they use that uh, total to determine whether or not their attempt was successful. And so this is where the DM is really important because the, uh, they came up with a number to beat depending on the difficulty of the task. And so that's called the DC or the difficulty check. Mm. Um, and so like, let's say your player wants to climb a wall. They have a plus two modifier to strength. And when they roll the dice, they get a 10 resulting in a total of 12. The fence is a four foot chain link fence. So it's relatively easy to climb and the 12 will be good enough for success. Um, there's also the possibility of advantage or disadvantage, which makes the player roll the d20 twice and take either the higher or lower number, respectively. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And when making your character, you can choose an alignment, and some people tend to feel that they restrict uh, your character uh, or what they can do, but others like the role-playing opportunity that it allows them. Um, and you may have seen alignment charts before online. Mm -hmm. They're uh, very fun meme formats. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like the three by three grid providing nine possible alignments. There's lawful good, lawful neutral, lawful evil, neutral good, true neutral, neutral evil, chaotic good, chaotic neutral, and chaotic evil, mm -hmm. which is a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I've seen those yeah. for like Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, and it's like very accurate. Or I've seen it for mm -hmm. um, email signatures. Have you seen that one? <laughs> <laughs> like best is yeah. one and like the worst is chow. Like chow is oh, like boy. true evil. Like, like, yeah. like, yeah, true evil. Yeah. It's great. Sincerely. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Sincerely is true neutral. Yeah. <laughs> it's chaotic evil. That's what I'm thinking of. Chow yeah. is chaotic evil. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Uh, there are three different uh, sort of modes of play um, when you're playing uh, and you can emphasize one uh, over another or use them all equally or only one if you want to. Um, it's commonly referred to as the three pillars of D&D. There uh, is combat, exploration, and social interaction. And so combat is what most people think of when they think of D&D. Uh, it's what is most commonly featured in modern media. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And so that's like fighting monsters, swinging swords, killing stuff. Uh, when, when in combat, players must roll for initiative, which determines their place in the lineup for who gets to act first. Okay. On their turn, they have an action, a bonus action, and a movement. Uh, usually combats are played on the table on a grid with each inch square correlating to a five-foot cube in the game world. Each round, everyone gets a turn, and then it moves up to the top of the line again and repeats until the combat is over, and either everybody's dead, something happens, <laughs> you never know. Uh, each round correlates to six seconds in game time, so a uh, ten-round combat only lasts about a minute for the characters. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, Holy moly. Mm -hmm. it, everything goes really fast. 
-hmm. If you think about how some, because every character gets a speed modifier, Mm -hmm. and like the monk class specifically has very high speed and dexterity, so they can run like 50 feet in six seconds, which is wild. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Uh, during combat, you can attack, in which you roll a d20, add your weapons modifier, and if you hit, then you roll the damage dice associated with that weapon, usually a d4, d6, or d8, to see how much damage you did to the creature. And to move on the map, there's often tokens or figurines called miniatures or minis that represent your character and whatever your party is fighting. And they can be custom-made, or they can just be random knickknacks. The party that I played with for a long time used keychain Knickknacks. We oh. had Cinderella versus Albus Dumbledore. <laughs> it was great. That's cute. Yeah. Uh, exploration is a really fun part of D anD. d It allows players to learn more about their world environment, and it often entails like traveling, shopping, looking around new places, finding items, or anything that isn't combat or standing and talking in character. So this can include like if you're in a cave and you're looking around trying to find something, or it can be just uh you you go to a large city and you're looking around and you're shopping and you're going on you're doing a little shopping montage with your party (laughs) makeover makeover exactly that's always the most fun but that's what D&D was made for is makeovers (laughs) um and social interaction is also known as role-playing okay it's essentially an opportunity for players to like fully embody their character and flex their acting skills some people don't like this as much. Some people love it and only want to do that. Uh, they get to interact with NPCs, make allies or enemies, and create connections and bonds for your character. Uh, some of the most interesting situations come out of a player choosing to do what their character would do rather than the choice that would result in the best outcome. Mm. And so that can make things very narratively interesting, um, especially when you know it's not going to go well, but you know it's what your character would do. Yeah, that's that is what I find the most interesting part of like it's it's different than just playing a board game. I mean, obviously, it's different than playing a board game. But normally when you play a game, you play as yourself as like these are your decisions and these are this is how you're going to play because you want to win or whatever, whatever the object of the game is. But the idea behind this is that you are playing a character that might have a completely opposite personality and like mindset than you do. So trying to keep your like if you've already figured out the puzzle, but your character is a dum-dum who would not have noticed that or whatever, you know what I mean? Like what are these decisions that you're going to make that are going to make either it harder for you or easier for you or uh, Mm -hmm. harder or easier for everybody else involved is like so interesting to me that you would have to, you know, you're motivated to play the game the way your character would. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're trying to, it's easier to play somebody dumber than you yeah. <laughs> when you're trying to play somebody with super high intelligence. I'm just like, yes, I know the answer, but uh, I'm just not going to tell you. That's a good way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so as the game is played, characters rack up experience and like much in, like in real life, people learn from mistakes and challenges and it gives them life experience. And mm-hmm. so experience allows you to level up within the game. And it gives your character more abilities and powers as they grow stronger. And that's good. Like if you're playing a campaign and that's your character and you're building upon your, you know, what you started out with, but you know, your third game in, maybe you're Mm -hmm. a lot better at some of these things, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so 
uh, I've played in the campaigns I do usually are like you level up every session, but um, I've heard of games running for 15 years and they're only like their characters are at level, level 17. Right. And so it's like they cap out at level 20. Can you but, imagine uh, playing a game for 15 years? <laughs> that would be like with the same character. <gasps> oh my god. That would be that would you would have a double life. You would have a double <laughs> like like your second life. It's like second life. And the the world must be like so rich by that point. <laughs> like the poor dungeon master having to like yeah. continuously add just, on to just this in a room with binders and binders <laughs> and red you know yeah. red string oh, yeah, like and pictures. The, like... Oh my god, I can't even imagine. Yeah, uh, yeah. So they uh, you can level up and it gives you uh, bonuses, and so it can be rewarded in two ways. There's ex- experience points, like in a lot of video games, or it can be milestone and um, XP. Uh, is measured generally in numbers so you can kill a monster and that's worth 50 experience points and every let's say 100 experience points uh the party levels up okay um whereas milestone works differently and is much more subjective and it's when the dm feels that the players have gone through a considerably difficult combat or have done really well convincing an npc to be an ally or they've they've just done something well um, they can choose to level the characters up as a result of their achievements. I like to think of it as like when you're in elementary school and the teacher puts a star by your name. You're like, yeah, you've leveled up. <laughs> that's cute. That's cute. It's great. Yeah. And so um, that's sort of a rundown of how to play. Do you have any cool. questions? Yeah. So like the dungeon master. So if you're mm-hmm. like, you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to DM a game. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so how much like planning do you have to do? Is it oh, like, boy. okay, well, you know, I know we like to go to this location and, you know, these are the types of monsters we could run into, but like how much, like how much work goes into actually like planning one? A lot. It's a <laughs> lot of work. Um, it's so, so, so much work. Uh, I have only DM'd a couple one shots, um, which took me like probably for a standard like three hour just session uh off the top of your head uh without any planning for future storylines or Mm -hmm. trying to weave anything uh that took me like three or four hours to prep for Uh um but yeah there's it depends on what you want to use. If you want to use the uh, standard pre-written guides, you just sort of have to read through and know what to expect okay. because they give you different deviations. Like if your players do this, then this might be the path you want to go okay. down. Okay, that makes um, sense. Yeah, and so they're still prepped involved in that, but it's not as much as writing your own thing. Um, yeah, for writing your own thing, you have to plan for every person that they're going <laughs> to run into. Every, every possible decision monster, exactly especially um there's something called um i don't know if you guys have ever heard the term murder hobo no no <laughs> yeah lauren changes her mind she wants to be a murder hobo i want to be a murder hobo. A rogue. done <laughs> no. yeah well a lot of rogues tend to be murder hobos um the uh, it's basically a term it's uh sort of internet slang um that people have come up with to talk about parties that just go in kill everything take everything and leave like they don't they're very um morally gray okay and so, uh yeah it's uh that that tends to be 
most parties eventually <laughs> devolve into that at some point. Sure, yeah. Unless they're very serious about role play and want to do um, big moral struggles. But wow, uh, yeah, sounds chaotic. Would you ever yeah. get like stuck being a character that you don't want to be? I think yes, it, that can happen. Um, it's the fun thing about the game is that you have your you have your character, and the only thing you're really beholden to is the numbers and so you can keep the stats you're you can change your backstory it's just more of like sit down have a conversation with your dm and be like i don't like this Mm -hmm. um i'm going to talk about this a bit more later but there's a show called critical role yeah um steve Steve loves that show they're huge (laughs) um and one of the characters marisha ray she uh or she's not a character she's a person on the show (laughs) but she plays a character who is she's very she's a very bright and bubbly person but the character is a very angry sort of violent and negative person Uh, uh and so she was very scared that that was going to affect her and she didn't really like it at first yeah i can see that it's like i think it's more of making the character and what you want them to be rather than a perfect person like oh sure yeah making them real um flaws stuff like that it's always fun to play a perfect character too <laughs> then you can just do whatever you want but um yeah cool mm-hmm. and so i'm going to talk a little bit about the satanic panic because yes. Oh, yes. I, love I love dungeons that. and dragons but not everybody has always felt that right? way mm-hmm. Um, and so the game had an uptick in popularity during the 80s, um, and some people began to take issue with the themes of the game. And unfortunately, this like surge of young people playing D&D also coincided with the satanic panic. Mm-hmm. And um, it's going to be a little sad for a minute, but mm-hmm. That's it's okay. okay. I promise it gets better. Um, the satanic panic started uh, slowly in the late 60s with... Uh, the Manson family murders and a lot of uh, that sparked fear of like ritualistic murder and killing. Um, And it was helped along the way in the seventies by a lot of highly publicized cases of serial killers, which really hadn't been seen before. Mm -hmm. Um, Like Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, uh, son of Sam, et cetera. Uh, David Berkowitz, son of Sam, Mm -hmm. uh, who, claimed to be controlled by a demon living inside his neighbor's dog uh, really sort of made people scared because yeah. this was a time when uh, parents were really worried about what their children were doing. And right. um, yeah, it was sort of the beginning of helicopter parents. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. Mm-hmm. And the book, The Satanic Bible, written by Anton LaVey, was published the same year and it became a primary source of information for the Church of Satan um, the same year as the uh, Manson family murders. Oh, yeah. The um, movie The Exorcist didn't help either as it was like a cultural phenomenon and brought fear of demons, Ouija boards, possession, and the paranormal into a lot of people's minds. It's like one of the scariest movies. Oh, ever. I've never seen it. There's no way. No, you yeah, shouldn't. I, I don't want that in <laughs> my brain scary. and in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it either. I don't do Good, horror don't, movies. Good, No. <laughs> Yeah. I like to be able to play this game and fight those monsters. I don't want to have to deal with it and not be able no. to do anything right, about exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. And so the media age didn't really help <laughs> because there was more coverage of like terrifying events mm-hmm. and it became more and more frequent. And we can see that even today. 
people became more and more scared. And so during this time, uh, Christian fundamentalism was also on the rise. And many people be began to believe in the existence of angels and demons. And um, there were many like very outspoken people um, from this community at the front of the anti-occultist movement. And so there was an outcry against anything that could be tied to devil worship, like uh, rock and roll, and unfortunately, Dungeons and Dragons. And in 1979, a college student named James Dallas Egbert III went missing from Michigan State University. He was a young, nerdy kid who was really invested in D&D &D and played with his friends in a set of tunnels um, underneath the university. Uh, due to the moral panic of the time, many people were already really suspicious of the game because of its themes of witchcraft and demons. Um, and it really seemed to encourage violence and demonism, um, especially with the combat mm. focus of the early versions of the game. Um, Egbert going missing was a bit of a media frenzy as he was only 16 and he was a child prodigy wow. and his family was desperate to find him. The investigator hired to find Egbert, William Deere, connected the teen's disappearance to the popular role-playing game. And the media absolutely ran with it. They were like, Jeez. he disappeared because of Dungeons & Dragons. This is a cult. It's a, there was a lot of um, fear surrounding right. him. Um, Egbert was subsequently found, and his disappearance was revealed to be a suicide attempt. So he, mm. um, he ended up committing suicide shortly after being found. Um, but his death was also tied to Dungeons and Dragons because he played this game with his friends, Aww. which is awful. Which is terrible because probably Dungeons and Dragons was like the thing that made him happy, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was sort of an escape thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so the high coverage of his disappearance um, made D&D &D become a hot topic for discussion. And so there was two sort of camps that... Um, came out of this there was people who either wanted to play D&D because it was seen as this taboo fun thing or they wanted to ban it altogether mm -hmm. wow kind of like a Ouija board yeah yeah pretty much yeah um, and many Christian fundamentalists spread their concern for children being involved in the game and reaching out to parents and making them believe that D&D was a satanic uh, gateway for uh, occult children um, <laughs> Jeez. yeah they tied it to witchcraft demonism voodoo and murder despite the creator of the game Garrett Gygax being Christian himself mm -hmm. um, this was perpetuated in the 80s when a string of highly publicized teenage suicides and murders all involved people who played Dungeons and Dragons which is crazy because everyone was playing it yeah it's like <laughs> you know like blaming stuff on rock and roll it's like well they were into rock and roll well so was everyone else literally then. everyone else yeah it's it was what was on the radio if you, if you hear, <laughs> like what else are you gonna listen to yeah yeah the uh 1982 movie mazes and monsters starring tom hanks this was tom hanks first leading role uh loosely tells the story of what many thought happened to these kids it was a um uh, loose retelling of the story of James Dallas Expert the Third's disappearance. Oh, wow. I um, watched that. Yeah, it's actually I've watched clips of it and it's it's a sad story. Yeah. But the way they portray it is it's not meant to be comedic. Mm -hmm. But looking back <laughs> on it, you're like, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, because uh he 
it basically portrayed what people thought were going to happen to their kids at the time, um, where they can't distinguish fiction from reality and start to think that the violence is real and they basically go crazy and end up hurting themselves or other people. So they were trying to make it be like a ABC after school special type thing. Yeah. Like, like don't, oh, oh, this might happen to your kids. Keep an eye on them. Kind of thing. <laughs> wow. Yikes. Yeah. I'd never heard of that. No, I'd never heard of it either. Clearly it wasn't a huge hit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and eventually the movement, like the satanic panic, uh, lost steam and it sort of coincided with the decline of people playing D and D, which is kind of funny because you think about how many people play the game and they're like, oh, it's no longer this huge taboo thing. Eh, I'm not going to play it anymore. Or people just sort of, it was no longer in the news. And I mean, I guess that's the whole thing where like even bad press is good press. Yeah. Yeah. So. And the satanic panic basically ended because nobody ever found any proof any, of any of any of this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. didn't like Geraldo do? I feel like Geraldo probably I'm, tried to do a story on easily, it too. I'm sure. And it turns out like the people he talked to like either made stuff up or, you know, it yeah. wasn't. It wasn't. Nobody ever found any credible evidence that there were yeah. gangs of teenagers worshiping <laughs> Satan in yeah. abandoned buildings and stealing. Yeah, if I know anything about teenagers, present company excluded, of course, they are not organized enough to worship the devil and then I will vote for that. <laughs> sacrifice like chickens and babies and whatever. A lot the of creepiness. other on their mind. Yeah, right. they got other stuff going on. Exactly. What a weird time. Oh, like Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, yeah, and so um, it with the end of the satanic panic um, in like late eighties, early nineties um, it coincided with the decline of people playing D and D as well as that transfer of publishing rights from TSR to wizards of the coast. Okay. Like I talked about earlier. Uh, Cause that caused a lot of people to lose interest due to the new rules. Um, and lots of other uh, systems came out at that time, like pathfinder, um, which is essentially, it's very similar to D and D. Um, I play it sometimes with my friends. I find it far more complicated. Uh, (laughs) I prefer D&D myself, but both systems have their strengths and weaknesses and appeal to different people. Um, And so while it was on the decline from 1997 and onwards, many people still loved and played the game, just not as openly as before. Mm -hmm. Um, And this all changed when it reemerged again back at full force uh, just recently, like within the last five years. Um, And it was no longer a game played by nerdy teens in their parents' basement. Now it was a lot of high-profile celebrities like uh, Stephen Colbert, Anderson Cooper, Vin Diesel, Patton Oswalt, mm-hmm. the Russo brothers, Deborah Ann Wool, Patrick Rothfuss, and lots of others. Uh, Joe Manganiello is a big D&D fan. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Joe Manganiello's been playing since he was a teen, mm-hmm. and he has a D&D basement like kitted out with like character photos of it no i haven't it's insane (laughs) he's got like a table it's like a it's huge it's like a big thing oh my god yeah he's got like figureheads on the wall all of the chairs are like thrones Mm -hmm. and he invites all of his like famous buddies to come over and play (laughs) D in his basement 
because uh, he's married to I I know him as uh, the guy who's married to Sofia Vergara. Yeah, of course. Um, but uh, apparently, she wanted to have like a yoga dance studio in the basement, and he was like, "No, I need this space. <laughs> this is my space to play D and D with my friends." And she's like, "What are you doing down there?" And he's like, "We're going on adventures. Don't don't make fun of me for this." And, can you imagine yeah. the cast of Magic Mike XXL just meeting <laughs> oh up in Joan Machinelli's basement while Sofia beautiful- Vergara like gives them hors d'oeuvres on a plate? That like- is the most beautiful image. Oh, it's so it's so beautiful. I love it so much. <gasps> Uh, yeah, she was. She w- She had an interview on. It was either Stephen Colbert or Seth Meyers, and uh, she was chatting. And she was like, "I don't know what he does down there. I just bring him snacks sometimes." <laughs> so it's true. It's true. I love it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. It's my favorite yeah. thing. It's it's very good. Yeah, he uh, he also has a clothing line called Death Saves, um, oh which is. A D and D thing, wow! Um, and it's all like D and D themed. It's it's kind of uh, in that heavy metal style. Mm-hmm. I can't afford any of it, but it looks amazing. <laughs> uh, he wears it on all of the interviews that he goes to. Like he went to, um, he did an interview with Stephen Colbert, and he was like wearing the shirt, and they talked about D and D for like ten minutes, completely ignoring the audience. <laughs> it was great. I think I saw that interview. It was very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so the reemergence of the game um, has come like 40 years after its initial release, and it has more players than ever before. Um, it can mostly be attributed to the release of the fifth edition. Um, it's commonly known as 5e. I mentioned mm-hmm. that before, but um, uh, the fifth edition is more open. It's uh, more diverse than the previous editions of D&D. Um, and it's a much easier to pick up as it really simplifies many of the nitpicky rules that came from previous editions. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> good. Um, both on the sides of the players and the DM. So it allows players to create characters that are more interesting and um, more diverse. And it allows the DM to more customization options. Mm-hmm. Um, 5e came out in 2014. And since then, Dungeons & Dragons... Dungeons and Dragons has reached a level of unprecedented growth. Like it's crazy. There's twice as many people playing now as there was in the eighties. Oh, wow. um, as reported by wizards of the coast, D and D starter kit sales increased by 36% in 2016, 50% from that in 2017 and 63% in 2018. Wow, and it's only expected to go up. Wow. Um, amazing. That's cool. Yeah, it's a lot of growth. <laughs> um, 5e is the most accessible version of the game um, as the basic rules for 5th edition were put up online for free. So um, when they released 5th edition, they really wanted it to be a uh, an edition that was accessible for everybody, mm-hmm. regardless of class, gender, race, etc. And so they were like, we're putting this up for free. Anybody can play. This is all you really need because the things like the player's handbook, the monster manual, the DM guide um, are really just supplements. Mm -hmm, You mm -hmm. can find all of that stuff online usually um, if you really want to use it. And so there's no barrier stopping anybody from uh, finding this game and playing it. That's so cool. That's nice. (laughs) Uh, I was going to say, when we've been drinking, we frequently are like, we should play D&D. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
Steve, can you DM mm-hmm. for us to play D and D? So I don't know if that's ever going to happen, but you know, do it. It's so fun. It's so fun. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So, um, the game is very flexible and allows um, players in the dungeon master to make things up as they go, which appeals to a variety of people. Uh, there's number crunching, storytelling, acting, communication. It's like there's a little bit of everything for everybody, which is really fun because people come into it not really knowing what to expect and they always find at least one thing they love about the game. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> Well, the release of 5e was instrumental in the reemergence of Dungeons and Dragons as like a cultural phenomenon. Its current and ever-growing popularity can really be attributed to online culture. Mm-hmm. Um, the vice president of Dungeons and Dragons franchise has said uh, over half of the new people who started playing Fifth Edition got into D and D through watching other people play online. And so we touched oh. on this earlier with the Adventure Zone and Critical Role. Um, but streaming services like Twitch have allowed the average person to live stream themselves playing games, including D&D. And these are called actual play shows, where a group of people play D&D as they would normally, but instead they're broadcasting it to thousands of people. Have you done that? I have not myself. Um, because I don't have a set group of people that I always play Mm -hmm. with. I would love to, that'd be so fun. But, uh, I have not done that myself. I would love to see you guys live stream. Well, that would be so fun. Our very first game ever. <laughs> We're like, put it on Wait, Twitch. What does this mean? <laughs> Give me the purple one. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, we, we would probably need to do a couple of sessions before we <laughs> just head it out live and send, send it out to the masses of people who are very passionate about D&D and watching <laughs> our dumb asses trying to stumble our way through a game. Yeah. <laughs> I would watch. I'd watch it over and over. That's I imagine nice. it'd Thanks be amazing. Nice. <laughs> um, and so shows like Critical Role, The Adventure Zone, and Dimension 20 have opened up many viewers to what Dungeons & Dragons is. I started playing after my cousin uh, sent me the link to the first episode of Adventure Zone Balance and was like, oh. you know, I listened to this. I think you'd really like it. You should check it out. And I absolutely fell in love with it. And um, that's how I learned to play, as I learned to play as I listened to the show. Cool. And yeah, and so those um, those shows also make it very accessible for people who don't know anything about the game. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know you. We. I mean, we both listened to Mabim Bam, but um, I know you haven't. Julia has not listened to Adventure Zone, correct? Um, I started listening to it with Steve and Steve was like, no, no, you'll really like it. I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to listen to people just like rolling dice. <laughs> like, ugh, this is so dumb, but it's, it's really good because it's a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also has their humor, which is like yeah. perfect. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and you really get involved in like the storyline and the characters and everything. And it's like really towards the end, it's very beautiful. And Griffin is the DM and he does such a great job. He composed, so he composed all the music, like the interstitial oh. music on his little piano. It's so great. It's a great, it's, and it's, they did it over the course of balance is like three and a half years. Three years. Yeah. yeah. I was wow. lucky. I started listening to it at like I started listening and then as I was about halfway through, they released the finale episode. Oh, so nice. I was able to listen You're to it all the way through yeah. all at once. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, shows like that have really lent themselves, especially because like people like the McElroy brothers were already established with 
mm-hmm. podcasts that I've already done, like my brother, my brother, and me. And um, so it, it uh, lent itself to people who were already fans of this, who might not know anything about Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. were able to come in and learn about it with people that they already knew, trusted, loved, etc. It was the same thing with the show Critical Role, um, because those people, all of the people on there, um, including the DM, Matthew Mercer, um, are voice actors. And so they're, uh, they voice act for many video games, cartoons, other animated shows. Um, and when people talk about D and D live streaming, critical role is sort of that gold standard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's insanely popular. It happens every Thursday night, they live stream. Um, each episode is about three or four hours, which is a lot. Yeah. Wow. Um, especially for people trying to get into it new. Um, <laughs> and their first campaign, I think, was 115 episodes. And they're working their way through their second campaign now, which is 74 at this oh point. Gosh. It will be more when this is released. Wow. But, uh, yeah. And then, uh, so they recently did a Kickstarter to animate the portion of their first campaign and they were initially asking for $750,000 over the course of 45 days. They hit that in less than an hour. <gasps> and within four days, they had $5,750,000. So these D&D people have money. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is what you got to tap into, Julia. That sweet, sweet D&D That's, cash. That, well, I mean, Joe Manganiello, he's very rich. <laughs> How can we get Joe Manganiello to pay us money? <laughs> <laughs> wow that's amazing well i know yeah because yeah, I, I heard that they were animating the first campaign mm-hmm. i didn't know they did a kickstarter for it but, yeah uh i know the adventure zone did a comic book they've done a couple of comic books yeah, yeah. They're, they're i think they're they're gonna release the third one mm-hmm. within the next year because the second one just came out um but yeah it's become a very new lucrative uh industry almost sure. in itself. Uh, they set that that Kickstarter actually set the record for the most funded Kickstarter ever. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's and amazing. so that's I think they I think they ended up finishing with just under like six million dollars. Wow. Over the course of the forty five days. Oh man. Which was insane. Yeah. Did they say what they're gonna do with the rest of the money? Well they they throw it up in the air roll around yeah. in it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, the, uh, the initial plan was just to episode, uh, animate just one episode, I think. Oh, okay. Um, but then now they're doing like four full episodes. They have a bunch of extra content coming out. Okay. Um, and yeah, they, they're using the money to create more content, I believe. I see. Okay. That's wow. cool. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. And so that sort of shows how, how much of an effect and how popular these guys actually are. Mm. Um, and so these streams have opened up D and D to a broader range of people. Um, Dungeons and Dragons is no longer that stereotype of dudes, neckbeards sitting in their parents' basement. Right. It's become a safe place for LGBT plus people. Um, and the fifth edition has encouraged players to create diversity in their games, whether it be through ethnic background, gender expression, or sexual orientation. There's actually stuff within the handbook. Uh, that encourages players to like have fun with it play some play a perspective that you wouldn't normally get that's great yeah that's amazing 
yeah like especially with the adventure zone mm-hmm. uh one of the players justin he's like i am not this so i'm gonna play this and yeah. uh trying to see things from a different point of view mm-hmm. which is always fun yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And the community has become rich with diversity. And while there's still many issues um, within the game, it, it continues to evolve and get better. And some of those issues entail things like um, colonialist mindsets, because mm. because this is based off of or heavily inspired by uh, like Tolkien mm-hmm. and sort of the Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. Um, the colonialist mindset where there's a lot of traits that evil characters have that might be have might be having racist undertones and things like that and there's a lot of um people working to try and reverse that and decolonize wow that makes sense yeah oh man we learned so much (laughs) this is incredible thank you so much (laughs) <laughs> I'm I'm glad I can I'm glad I can be uh, of help. Um, the the my favorite thing that I learned about while doing this research because I I did know a lot about D&D, mm-hmm. but there was stuff I I didn't know and I I was glad I was able to do this so I could share this with you guys. Um, is that D and D is actually starting to be used as a uh, therapy tool. So um, there's people working, um, there's a guy named Adam Davis, and he's got this um, this company that he started in Seattle, and it's called um, Wheelhouse Workshop. And he uses his Game to Grow program to allow kids with troubled homes or like poor grades or social struggles to reach out and meet people and working through their issues in their own way through Dungeons and Dragons. And he says, uh, a quote from him is, I believe you can explore consequence in an environment where nobody gets hurt physically. And so it allows kids to feel part of a team while being able to explore decision-making, seeing things from other people's perspectives, and it encourages creativity, teamwork, and leadership, and communication skills that are necessary to grow into a healthy adult. That's really fantastic. That's wonderful. I mean, you know, storytelling is is like a primordial, like biological need as humans. So this idea of using storytelling and and like it, kind of flexing your storytelling abilities when you are not somebody who maybe is not inherent feels like they're inherently creative in mm-hmm. terms of like a writer or whatever. So playing D and D can kind of flex that muscle of like decision making and interpersonal relationships and like you said, oh, yeah, consequences sure. and all of that. So that's so interesting. And it's just fun. Definitely. It's just super fun to listen to and watch. I mean, it's like spinning a story out of nothing, which is fascinating to me. Oh, yeah, totally. I was reading testimonials on his website, um, and people were talking about how there was kids who never spoke up in class but uh, or never wanted to ask for help. But when they play D&D as their character, they're able to say, I need your help with picking this lock because... Mm-hmm. You're able to create characters with specific skill sets and it, it forces you to be a part of a team. And uh, yeah, it's just a really cool thing. And it's come a long way from this will get your child into a cult <laughs> <laughs> to this is actually a really useful therapy tool right. uh, to help people explore trauma or other things. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, so to summarize, D&D is fun. Please play it. It's great. <laughs> uh, and it's like, 
I really like it because it provides a space where you can sit down and talk to people face to face and it's hanging out with your friends without screens and yeah, it's yeah. just a good time. And there's like things like Roll20. I don't know if you've ever heard of Roll20. Hmm. It's an online um, thing. I think the McElroy's actually use it for their podcast, but the um, it's uh, where you can play D&D online with people that you do know, people that you don't know. You can just join a game if you want to, or if your friends are all on, then you can all play from different points, but it connects people across the world to be able to play Dungeons and Dragons together. That's, That's really awesome. Cool. Yeah. Um, so at, at my museum, one of the collections that I deal with in the archives is um, from Plagmata. So they're the play-generated map and document archive um, run by Tim Hutchins. So he's super interested in, um, you know, even, you know, 20 years ago, if you played this game and then just kind of kept your maps that you drew or your player sheets or, um, you know, any kind of ancillary materials that were created during the course of playing role-playing games, um, he collected them and then would like scan them and then post on his website, all of these like digital files. And then the originals all came to the strong museum. So I have probably like 32 boxes of, um, character sheets and Mm -hmm. hand-drawn maps and hand-drawn modules and all this really cool stuff that it's um you know that people you know you know they were just created during the course of playing a game but really they document how people knew how to create maps and Mm -hmm. how people told stories and um you know character sheet stuff and it's just i mean it's just really cool it like um just kind of captures a, a snapshot of a certain game in a certain time and the context of the collection is really cool so that sounds so cool. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, come to the Strong Museum of Play and you can see it. I've already taken the digital tour on Google. <laughs> it's I a good spent one. probably just two hours just clicking click, through it. Click, it was great. Click. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank yeah. you. This was amazing. Thank yeah. Thanks, Jamie. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so glad I, I was. I was, I'll be honest, I was a little bit tipsy, though Drinking Age in Canada. Yeah. Is 19. So We're not going to call good. the cops on you. Don't worry. We won't um, call the Mounties. Um, when I tweeted, because I, I don't know if, if anybody listening knows how I managed to get here, was <laughs> I was a little tipsy and I was like, hey, what would it take for me to be on this show? I don't know a whole lot, but I got the spirit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Julia responded and was like, hey email me figure <laughs> it out I was, I was sort of like oh my god this is a thing that can happen and so yeah. I, I went with it and I'm glad I did so yeah yeah if anybody's interested in playing D&D go to dndbeyond.com not sponsored mm-hmm. uh yeah and um it can really if anybody's interested then that will get you started great and uh yeah and doing that Awesome. awesome. We'll post that link on yeah. our uh, social meds when that comes out. Yeah. Awesome. So I hear you have a quiz for us. I do. And I'm very excited. About Ooh, I'm it. excited about it too. <laughs> okay. Question number one. While mostly known for his key and his kite, Ben Franklin was rumored to be a part of which secret high society club that got up to salacious and sinful activities in a network of caves underground? Number two, a fearsome beast terrorizing the people of Erebor, not a foggy cloud caused by pollution. Who is the primary antagonist in the 1937 novel, The Hobbit? 
Number three, let's not drag on folks. There's no time for any baloney. Which queen, known for her snappy retorts and fiery personality, is the only RuPaul's Drag Race winner not to independently release music after their season win? Number four. Which Canadian show, lacking in cartilaginous fish, features a professional pitching their business ventures to a panel of esteemed industry judges? Number five. Notably not the name of an English heavy metal band, what is the name of the often forgotten medieval torture device that had held the standing prisoner captive with no room to move? Number six. Despite being on island time, Alcatraz shut its doors in 1963 after how many years of operation? Number seven. Originating in China, dragon boating requires a lot of teamwork. There are paddlers in the middle and steersmen at the back, but what is the name of the role for the person who stands at the front of the boat facing the rest of the crew? Question eight. After 18 years spent in prison and a long walk to freedom, this South African leader is the namesake for the cultural phenomenon that causes the public to remember false memories. Name the leader and the effect named after him. Number nine, scaly on the outside, what is the common name of this sweet cactus-born fruit, the pitaya? Number 10, which wingless beast shares its name with a famous Canadian music artist? Ooh, we'll give you about a minute to think and then we'll be back with your answers. Oh, man. I think okay. we could do this. I think we can do this. All right, start us off. Here we go. Okay, number one. While mostly known for his key and his kite, Ben Franklin was rumored to be a part of which secret high society club that got up to salacious and sinful activities in a network of caves underground? Now, now I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Uh, it's not Skull and Bones because that's Yale, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, not the Masons. Not the Masons. Mm-mm. Is there something like the crossed keys? Is that the, oh. the Society of Crossed Keys? Is that something? Maybe it's something. It might be something in an Agatha Christie book that I read recently. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Illuminati. Oh. But that I would have mentioned it in my Illuminati episode, though. Uh, yeah. What about crossed keys? What is that? Is that a thing? Is that the answer? Is that your final answer? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, it's not the cross keys. Uh, it's the Hellfire Club. 
Oh, no, I've never heard of this. Tell us more. of Sir Francis of Wycombe. And so it was a club made up of mostly politicians and wealthy men who got together to participate in immoral debauchery. (gasps) That's just basically Ben Franklin's Yeah, Ben Franklin didn't need an excuse. No, no. (laughs) Uh, It can't be confirmed that he was actually a part of the club or anybody was a part of the club because it was like super secret. Mm. But based off of his writings about um, where he was at the time, the things that he was doing, people and historians are pretty sure that he was part, part of the Hellfire Club. Oh. Um, and so they'd wow. show up in like robes and masks to hide their identities. Um, and yeah, they'd, it was basically like a big orgy. It was kind <laughs> of gross. But it was, the thing was, is that it was like really politically motivated mm-hmm, okay. i mean he was a nasty boy but yeah <laughs> um, he, um it was uh it would have been dumb of him not to participate oh, because okay. there were a lot of other high politicians um within the club i see okay <laughs> ready for question two yes yeah question two a fearsome beast terrorizing the people of erebor not a foggy cloud caused by pollution who is the primary antagonist of the 1937 novel, The Hobbit? That's Smaug. The Smaug. Smaug, you are correct. <laughs> okay, number three. Let's not drag on, folks. There's no time for any baloney. Which queen, known for her snappy retorts and fiery personality, is the only RuPaul's Drag Race winner not to independently release music after their season win? Um, oh, I'm going to say Bianca Del Rio. Bianca Del Rio, yeah. Oh also known as Roy Haylock. That's his boy name. But uh, yeah, uh, she's the only one who hasn't released independent music. Yeah. she doesn't need that. No, she doesn't need it. She just has her, her comedy tours and her movies and things. Um, my friend Elizabeth... Uh, knew like what like met him because he was like roommates with a friend of hers wow. i think oh, wow. when he was living down in pennsylvania unclear um but yeah she <laughs> said he was actually in person just a very sweet lovely person if so. he would have gotten that wrong i think rupaul would have appeared and taken and away <laughs> snatched my wig right off my head <laughs> <laughs> poof and then i would i would have been bald for the rest of my life and i would have been happy to do it because I would have been properly chagrined. So, but I'm glad I got it right. We didn't have to deal with that. So it's, yeah. it's okay. Uh, yes, that is wonderful. You guys got it correct. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, number four, which Canadian show lacking in cartilaginous fish features a professional pitching their business ventures to a panel of esteemed industry judges? I know this one. You know this oh, one. Oh, no, I don't. Please. A Dragon's Den. Dragon's Den, yes. Oh, okay. I included uh, the cartilaginous fish bit because it's the same show as Shark Tank. It's just Canadian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, it premiered in 2006. It was a franchise extension of the show Dragon's Den that began in Japan. And its American co- counterpart, uh, Shark Tank, was released three years later. Oh, okay. Yeah. I bet it's more polite. <laughs> than the I don't American know about version. that. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> They're all pretty mean. They are dragons. They are dragons. You're right. Yeah. I Canadian sh- shouldn't make assumptions. Canadian dragons. <laughs> Canadian dragons. <laughs> yeah, it's just dragons, but they all play hockey. Uh, number five. 
notably not the name of an English heavy metal band, what is the name of the often forgotten medieval torture device that had held the standing prisoner captive with no room to move? Oh, not the name of a heavy metal band. Yeah, because I was going to say Iron Iron Maiden. Maiden. Ooh. Uh, there's, ooh. <laughs> I'm, now I'm thinking, I'm just thinking of like medieval torture, torture devices, devices that I know. <laughs> and I almost did an episode on it and I, I chickened out. Chickened out because it's very bad. Um, well, there's the pair of eggs. No. Oh, sorry. I, the worst one. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, it hurts. Um, uh, so the Iron Maiden is the one that's like a coffin that you close. Yeah, and with it's like got nails. The yeah. yeah. Um, but I know what she's talking about, the one that makes you stand up. I don't remember yeah, what it's called. I don't, I don't know what it's called either. Uh, we'll call it the... The... Sta- the... What's a good name? The no sitter. The, <laughs> the no sitter. Double hitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We give up. What is it? I personally prefer that name, uh, but it's called an oubliette. Uh, It was similar to an Iron Maiden, but it didn't have any spikes. Mm -hmm. And the prisoner would be dropped in from like a hole at the top rather than it being like a coffin. And then they had to stand there and they wouldn't be able to crouch or sit. They were often called forgotten rooms because they were able to just put people in there and then forget about them. And that's that's in French, oubliette is forgotten. Oh, oh. That's terrible. You know, it's and th- horrible. And there are so many people who are like, oh, I would love to live in the olden times. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> no. No. One, you'd you would be dead. Yeah. Enough. One, you would be dead. Two, you would be accused of being a witch. And you'd have to be in the oubliette or the Iron Maiden or deal with the <laughs> pair of. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. Go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> Question number six. Despite being on island time, Alcatraz shut its doors in 1963 after how many years of operation? I feel... Okay. Tell me how you feel. Like it opened after our World War II. Yeah. I, if I remember correctly from my prisons episode, which... It, it was just many so you, moons ago. Yeah. You should know that once we do an episode, we kick... I personally, at least, <laughs> kick gone. that info That's right out of my brain. It's gone. It's out in the world now. I don't have any control over it. I think it was only around for like 20 years or 25 years or something like that. Like, okay, so 61, 65, 63, 63. Yeah. Okay. Like 15 to 20 years, somewhere in there. Yeah. So let's say it opened in 46. Okay. Uh, So that is- 17 years. 17 years. We'll say 17. 29 years. God damn it. It was because it was too expensive to run from maintenance costs because they were on an island in the middle of the ocean. They had mm-hmm. to ship in fresh water every single day, Oof. and uh, it was way too expensive. And now it's considered a national park, and it's a sought-after tourist attraction. Yeah. Yeah. My parents tried to go there, and they had to They phone the week before, and they were like, no, you got to book this months in advance. Like, <laughs> there's no way, yeah. Um, okay, question seven. Originating in China, dragon boating requires a lot of teamwork. There are paddlers in the middle and steersmen at the back, but what is the name of the role of the person who stands at the front of the boat facing the rest of the crew? So in like, not not dragon boating necessarily, yeah. but in regular rowing. Yes. I think it's called a cock, a coxswain. Yeah, a coxswain, a coxswain. Yeah, I, that's what, that was going to be my guess. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, let's go with that. Even though that sounds they're like actually, an old. They're actually called the drummer. Oh, and oh, their job is playing the drum in time so the paddlers can all row at the same time to the mm. beat of the drum. Yeah, so they, that's um, cool. mm-hmm. yeah, so like that's that's I think what differentiates dragon boating from a lot of other sports is they have a, they have a, <laughs> they have a, drum. a drummer at the beginning, uh, the front of the boat. It's really cool. Wow, um, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, dragon boating's intense. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Number eight, after 18 years spent in prison and a long walk to freedom, this South African leader is the namesake for the cultural phenomenon that causes the public to remember false memories. Name the leader and the effect named after him. Uh, That's Nelson Mandela, and that's the Mm -hmm. Mandela effect. Yeah, Yeah. you guys got it right. I I knew you'd have no problem with that one. (laughs) Uh, The Mandela effect is a phenomenon that causes people to create false memories or remember things incorrectly, often as a large group. Uh, term originated when Fiona Broom, paranormal consultant, claimed that uh, many people remember Nelson Mandela dying in the 1980s when he was still in prison, though he was still alive at the time, mm-hmm. and died in uh, 2013. Yeah, a, a classic version of this is the Berenstein, Berenstain Bears mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Um, that's probably the one that comes to mind the most, besides you know, the actual Nelson yeah. Mandela thing. Or before Definitely. they had the movie Shazam, people thought that they that there was a movie called Kazam. Yeah, oh, yeah. Before the movie Shazam <laughs> oh, came sorry. out, they thought it was they thought Kazam was Shazam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But another one Shazam. that I another one that I found was um, the shoe brand Skechers. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Everybody remembers it with the letter T, but there's actually no letter T in the shoe brand Skechers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Question number nine. Scaly on the outside, what is the common name of the sweet cactus born fruit, the pedaya? The dragon fruit. Yeah. The only thing I have written down for extra information on this one is they taste very good. Oh, okay. Nice and sweet. Lots of um, seeds. If you cut one open, it's like sometimes it's like white flesh with like a lot of black seeds, but sometimes it's like really bright pink and Mm -hmm. beautiful. Very yeah, they're tasty. like pink and green on the outside, and they do look like scales. It's really mm-hmm. cool. And then you can eat them with a spoon, right? Is yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. smoothie it up, or smoothie it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I don't think I've ever tasted one, but I'll take your yeah. word for it. They're apparently very, very rich in vitamins. Ooh. All right. Yeah, especially weighing with the seeds. Yeah. Uh, and finally, number ten: Which wingless beast shares its name with a famous Canadian music artist? Okay. <laughs> wingless beasts. Let's name some wingless beasts. Unicorn. Uh, what? <laughs> I'm thinking it's a, no. I'm imagining it's a real person. I mean, it's a real animal. What's wingless? Um, an emu. An emu is wingless. <laughs> is a there Canadian, a Cana- Canadian? Canadian. Music. It's a, a Canadian individual. Is it a person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You got Brian. You got Brian Adams. You got <laughs> you got our, our Lady Peace. You got Chantal Kravyatsuk. You got Alanis Morissette. Alanis Morissette. You got uh, the tragically hip. May Gord rest in peace. Uh, you got hmm. Bare naked ladies. Bare naked ladies. A bare naked lady is a wingless beast. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's true. We found a loophole in your question. Uh, there's snow. I knew you were going to say uh, that. Informer, so good. Um, damn, I can't think of any... Can't, I can't think of any wingless beasts that are also <laughs> Canadian, Canadian singers. Hmm. Ever Levine. Ever Levine. Um, Derek Wibley. Derek Wibley. <laughs> yeah. Uh, damn, Canada was big damn in the Canada. early 2000s. Um, well, Justin Bieber's Canadian. That's not helping. Ooh, a beaver. A beaver doesn't have any wings. <laughs> I left this question too open. Yeah. Put us out of our misery. Yeah, what which one are we talking about? <laughs> uh Drake. Oh, Drake! No! <laughs> he was the most obvious one. <laughs> What's wrong with us? Oh my god. I'm I'm thinking like, what did I listen to when I was in high school? <laughs> Damn it. Uh, uh yeah, uh, while well, a dragon generally has four limbs and wings, drakes have anywhere between two and four limbs and have no wings. And they're very similar to dinosaurs, but they only exist with fantasies. So my guess of unicorn wasn't that far off, <laughs> Sorry, we're in a fight now. Sorry you have to see this. <sighs> that is so good. And uh, Drake is from Toronto, I believe. Yes. Oh, yes. The he's, six. He's yeah. from the six. He's so proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jamie. Oh my God, Jamie, this is so good. Thank you so much. I learned so much. My heart is full with the love of tabletop and role-playing games. Um, Yeah. If if you, the listener, would like to contact us and uh, tell us about how great a job Jamie did today, um, please do. Uh, I'm sure she'd love to hear it. Uh, we, you can email us at misinfopod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at misinfopod on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Facebook. Misinformation, a trivia podcast. Yes, that's it. And we have a website, www.misinfopod.com. You can listen to us on our website. You can also listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts. And, um, thank you so much, Jamie, for joining us. Thank you so much. Teaching us the joys of D&D. Thank you guys. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure having you. Um, So thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.